Welcome to episode 5 of season 5 of Delving Into Dance. This episode is with the fantastic David McAllister, the Artistic Director of the Australian Ballet. This is a warm and generous interview from somebody with such a huge legacy. I started by asking, where did dance start? Look, I guess, I mean, my mother always said that I was the worst child to carry in utero because I was always kicking her in the ribs. So I guess there was always dance happening. Um, And my earliest memories of, you know, those things that you remember of yourself as a child, I remember being standing in front of the telly dancing around. Like, you know, there was always music on the radio or whatever, and I was just dancing. And um, it wasn't, I guess, until I was about six that I thought, I saw some ballet on telly. It was Rudolf Nureyev, actually in the Australian Ballet, doing Don Quixote. I went, oh, I want to do that. And it took me a year to get my parents to actually let me go or find a school to go to. And you know, and so, yeah, I started when I was sort of turning seven. And um, right from the very beginning, it was like I found my, my thing. You know, this, from the very first class, I was like, yep, this is what I want to do. I want to be a dancer. And... And I guess a ballet dancer, because that was the the first... I mean, maybe if it had been um, ballroom or, you know, tap or something else, it could have been that. But I guess my first real connection was with ballet, so that's where I sort of headed. And, and I remember um, as a kid, I mean, I trained for 10 years in Perth before I came to the Australian Ballet School. And I remember reading about Rudolf Nureyev, because, you know, I guess that was the initial spark... And um, he, he wrote, because he grew up in Ufa, which was, you know, miles away from anywhere. And he used to, he had this idea that if he just kept working really hard, someday someone would find him. Um, and eventually he did go to the, um, the Vaganabur Academy and, you know, blah, 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 the rest is history. So I remember thinking if I just worked really, really, really hard, <laughs> that I would be eventually found. And, um, and that's sort of what happened. I went to audition for the ballet school when I was 15 and I got a place. And then Maggie Scott um, spoke to my parents and they said, no, I had to finish school. So then I had to wait for another two years before I could come to Melbourne. Um, and it all just unraveled. But yeah, I think that, that initial moment where I sort of thought this could be a career. I mean, before that, it was just a passion. And I just, I mean, I knew that people dance for a job, but I just didn't, you know, know that I had that ability. But there was a, there was a particular night when um, I'd done class and it was, I must have been like 14, turning 15. And um, my ballet teacher said to my parents, you know, he should audition for the ballet school. And I was, you know, I was sent out onto the balcony because it was this old scout hall thing. And there was a little, you know, up anything and they were talking in there and um and I remember looking up at the sky and I know this sounds really naff but it actually happened and I was looking up and there was a beautiful summer night and this star like you know a falling star which was probably a comet or something anyway and I remember thinking oh falling star that's a really good sign if I just wish now that I you know will one day go to Melbourne and be a ballet dancer it'll happen and you know I still think about that and go what if that was real or whether it was just very good coincidence. <laughs> what a perfect scene for a movie. Like. I know. When <laughs> you wish upon a star. Yeah. <laughs> but it actually happened. I know it sounds very Hollywood, but it did actually happen. And when you were dancing professionally, when you're in that moment on stage and everything's working, not mm. a bad performance, mm, not one yeah. that you go home and go, oh, just, mm. but a day where it's all working and everything's aligned, mm. what does it feel like? 
you feel sort of superhuman, you know, it's really, I mean, because you work so hard to, you know, try and gain this sort of perfection of movement that is basically unattainable, that I think that's the thing that really hooks you in. It's like, you know, it's like a narcotic, you know, you just, you're always going for that perfect, you know, outcome, which in some performances happen. And I can think in my whole career, which, you know, went for 18 and a half years, there was probably about five or six shows when I remember that, you know, that feeling of being, wow, this is really, it's like being on this incredible ride and, you know, you can't sort of do anything wrong. Um, And one of those performances I remember vividly was in London um, when we did a performance in front of Diana, Princess of Wales. And it was just one of those shows that it just felt like, my legs were screwed on the right way and, you know, the music was like lifting me up and, you know, everyone on stage was, you know, just there in the right place at the right time. And, you know, my, my partner Miranda Coney and I, we were just having a great time. It was just one of those magical performances that you just sort of almost had to pinch yourself that was this really happening, you know? Yeah. Well, it's nice you got that one right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good night to get that feeling, I tell you. <laughs> and so is it just that addiction for that perf- perfect moment? I think that? it's that. I think it's. I mean, I think it's a multitude of things. I mean, I, I was never physical as a as a you know as a person. Um, like I have no eye hand coordination. I'm really crap at you know running. All of those things that you know make you sort of fit in as a normal Australian boy. I was really bad at. Um, whereas with dance, I just I there, it just sort of felt right. I felt like I could express myself and I could be myself when I was dancing. Um, and I felt that as I became, you know, older and, um, and you know, a professional, there was this great honesty on stage that you don't always get in your life, you know, that you can actually portray characters or even just be in a movement sequence or, you know, feeling the way that, you know, you're interpreting the music, that there's this incredible sense of, being able to pour your creativity into what you're doing. And I, I imagine it's like that, you know, when you're an actor in a great play or you're a, you know, a visual artist that's just, you know, finding that beautiful um, expression of what you're trying to do. And for me, it was an outlet to be all of those people that I felt like I couldn't be in my normal life. You know, I could be heroic and I could be, you know, sometimes nasty or I could be, you know, I could be play those characters of people that I saw around me, but I never felt that I was going to ever be, you know, in my own life. Is that an interesting paradox when you're like then off the stage and being your, I don't know, your truth oh, or yourself? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I've, it's really weird. I'm always much happier when I'm playing a role. Um, like even now as the artistic director, you know, I can walk into a room of, you know, a whole lot of people I don't know in, in a very sort of, you know, pressured environment. But because I'm, you know, there representing myself as, or you're representing the Australian ballet, I find that very easy. You know, I'm, I go into that sort of like, oh, I know who what I'm doing here and who I am and all that. For me, one of the most frightening things is walking into a room of a party, just being, you know, David McAllister person, and I can just like, it's like, oh no, you know, it can be a real sort of, sometimes I feel almost agoraphobic, and yet when I'm, you know, playing the role of artistic director, I'm quite happy, I'm quite excited about being there and talking to people. It's just a really weird, I don't know, maybe, I think it comes from that whole thing of growing up 
um, as an outcast. You know, I was all, I went to an all boy all boys Catholic school as a ballet dancer, so you can imagine what that was like. Um, and you know, being seen as the you know um, the weird one you know, the the strange person. And, I mean, you know, everyone talks about bullying now, you know. I mean, bullying, I didn't even know that it was bullying at the time. It was just normal. That was my life, you know. That was the way it was. And so I guess that, you know, built up this sort of strangeness about me in social environments. But then in other environments when, you know, like if, yeah, like at the same time I could be going into a big, you know, summer school as a you know one of the dancers and i felt completely at home and mm. embraced and you know confident also and so many of the roles you would have been playing would have been heterosexual oh yeah roles. so you're playing a, yeah yeah no, a version of masculinity or a version of yeah man that is somewhat yeah and look you know i guess it's about being i think it's about being accepted um you know all the way through my school years i just felt completely unaccepted and then you know, I came to Melbourne to the ballet school and it was like I'd moved into this alternate reality, you know, where everyone loved ballet and it was really, you know, cool to be there. And they were all really interesting, artistic, creative people. And no one was, you know, no one was bullied for what they loved. It was like, oh, how did this happen? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was sort of... Yeah, that it, idea of finding your tribe. Yeah, totally, totally. So, um, you know, it was it was... That's why I think I've always felt really, you know, my happy times are always being involved in in dance, you know. And and now, I mean, not, not now that I'm not on stage, it's not. I'm, you know, I don't sit there pining for those years of, you know. I'm I'm sort of. I was very happy with what I did, and I was lucky enough to be given a, an amazing transitional opportunity. And you know, for the last you know, seventeen years, it's been equally as as um, fulfilling but in a very different way yeah I guess you're facilitating those opportunities yeah. for other young people coming into the company or coming from wherever yeah and you always know as a dancer that it's not a life um, a lifetime of you know work you know you know that your body and especially in ballet I think you know contemporary dance I mean is also equally physically difficult but you know people can create work on you that can extend your career you know I mean Brishnikov danced right into his late 50s you know going into White Oak and doing all that sort of stuff and you know people like Patrick um, Harding Irma is still performing you know I think you know when you're in that sort of world you can actually find um, creative ways of and look you know ballet dancers do that too they just go into different roles you know you turn into the mother or the father or the auntie and you know it's <laughs> like you you keep performing but not in, in that physical um, height of, of perfection I guess not where your body can give up on you <laughs> yeah exactly and but I I guess I always knew that there was going to be a short career so I'm really happy now I'm I, I feel blessed doubly because I thought I would have to go and do something else that was not related, and yet I've had this opportunity of staying within the art form and still being very much a part of it, which is what, great. What else would have you done? Gosh, you know, well, I guess I always want... I, I got to that point when I was about 35, I sort of thought, okay, I do want to be involved in dance. Um, but I thought maybe it might be moving into a sort of an arts management, sort of managerial sort of position or, you know, working in another department that was involved in, you know, a, a dance company. But then I guess in my heart of hearts, you know, I always had that plan of like 
you know, doing a teacher's course, becoming a ballet master, you know, then becoming an assistant director to someone and then, you know, maybe running a company one day. It, it all just got sort of like vacuum packed into, you know, a six month period of, of development. Yeah. Quite amazing too, to then, <laughs> to go from that space as a dancer mm. to then having this responsibility mm. and still having friends that you've come up in the dance world yeah. with and then kind of that. It was an interesting transition, I've got to say. And I never realised at the time. Look, you know, I think if I knew what I was taking on, I would never have applied because I just, you know, that ignorance is bliss type sort of scenario. And, I mean, you know, I'd been in the company for a long time and I'd seen, you know, I'd worked with two very, you know, different directors and sort of, so I guess I thought, you know, and as a dancer, you always think you know what you, you know, yeah, I could do that. That's amazing, you know. Um, and then you get that opportunity and you go, oh, my God, you know. And I don't think I really got a handle on the whole job for about two or three years. I mean, I was sort of like, as Stephen Page always says, which I think is great, you know, you know, you throw yourself in the deep water and then you learn how to swim, you know, and that's what I did sort of. And I, look, some of the decisions I made in those early years were probably more courageous than things that I would do now just because I didn't know better. And, you know, some of the courageous things really, you know, paid off and that was really exciting. I mean, you know, I made some pretty dumb decisions too, which, you know, I had a great chairman that said, don't ever be scared of making a decision. And if you make a bad one, just change it quickly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good advice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah in terms of that risk taking, mm. you know, I mean, they took a risk on you Huge in many respects yeah, as yeah. well. I kind of can't imagine a board in this current climate would take a similar risk. I think I was, I mean, it was very much, I mean, I'm a great believer in fate. I think things happen for a certain reason. And um, I think at that time, the company was in a very strong um, financial position. And, you know, they'd had two very, um, as I said, very different artistic directors, but very sort of, um, they'd set the company up into a really good sort of rhythm of, of operation. Um, and I think they were looking for continuity. I think they were looking for someone that was going to continue the company on that path, but, you know, bring a great understanding of, you know, the history as well as, you know, charting the future. So I guess I was in the right place. And I had done some sort of preparation because I, you know, I did do some, I did a management course because I thought, you know, if I'm going to do something in the arts, I've got to actually skill myself a bit. Yeah. And um, and I also thought, you know, I'd been dancing for 18 years and hadn't really, you know, I'd been working, um, I mean, as a dancer, you, you, you do a lot of um, strategic thinking and, and, you know, learning constantly, but nothing text-based, nothing that I could actually write down. And, you know, so I thought I should do a bit of that before I sort of, you know, transition into doing something else. So I guess I was, I was lucky that I'd actually prepared myself in that way before this opportunity came up, which was pretty much out of the blue. No one expected it. So, In some circles, ballet is and has for a long time been discussed as a dying art form. Mm. You know, it's one of those art forms. Jennifer that, Homan said it in the, yeah, um, yeah, in the 80s. Apollo's and, Angels. Yeah. yeah, you know, and it's kind of been this ongoing thing. What is it about ballet that keeps surviving? Like, What is it that continues to resonate with audiences and yeah, people? Look, I think ballet as an art form has had many peaks and troughs over its history and and it's always interesting that just when people are, you know, about to sort of, you know, sign it off and, you know, shove the cross on top, you know, rest in peace, someone comes in and reinvigorates it, you know. So I think, 
you know, if you look at the end of the um, the 19th century, when, you know, all of those great classical ballets were created, and then it started getting a bit stale, and Petipa was, you know, it was, they thought he was just doing the same ballet with different costumes over and over and over. Um, and then, you know, the Ballet Russe happened. Diaghilev, you know, started off that amazing um, thing, which really, you know, the, the early 20th century changed the course of ballet. And, and you know, out of that came people like Balanchine and um, Stravinsky and all of these sort of people that then for the next 50 years took ballet on a completely different journey and it became cool and interesting again, you know. In the 50s, I mean, New York City Ballet was like the mecca for, you know, and and even, I guess, because it crossed over also with, you know, the rise of um, that sort of American contemporary dance practice that was all sort of, it was a really hotbed of creativity in dance and ballet was a part of it. Um, and then, you know, that spurned on into the 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 rise of, you know, Ashton, Macmillan, Cranko, all of those narrative ballet choreographers that really changed ballet in the 60s as well. So, you know, the 60s and 70s. So, you know, and then at the end of that, you know, people were talking in the 80s and 90s, oh, well, you know, it's all sort of coming to a grinding halt again. And then, lo and behold, you know, you've got Bill Forsyth, which leads to, you know, um, and Killian. But, I mean, Yuri was was sort of had a foot in both camps, I think. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, out of that spurns people like, you know, Wayne McGregor. And, and now, you know, with Alexa Redmansky and um, Christopher Wielden and... Justin Peck and um, Liam Scarlett, you know, all of a sudden there's these new choreographers that are taking ballet again in different journeys. So I think it's not so much that the art form is ever going to die. I think if we don't invest in the creative um, creative groundswell of, of new ideas and how to use that um, technique, I suppose, um, in ways that's going to reverberate with the current, you know, happening zeitgeist then yes it will die but it hasn't yet and and even when you do have these you know incredible it's not just those works that are making ballet you know exciting and vibrant i mean those classical ballets they're just they're like you know aesop fairy tales or you know aesop tales or you know or the grim fairy tales it's there's always something that resonates you know there's yeah. every generation needs to hear those stories because or see them or, you know, experience them. Because they do talk to us as, you know, as they're moral tales about how to live your life well. In the current climate around, in arts, about audience numbers and, you know, bums on seats, mm. is there still the space to create risk or create work that challenges an audience yeah. to propel the art form forward without losing existing audiences? Like, how do you yeah. balance that one? Look, I think it's... We've been lucky in our company and in our country, I think, over all these years that, you know, the, the founding um, tenets of the Australian ballet were about maintaining those, you know, great classical ballet works, but also creating new works and um, and developing Australian sort of, vo not vocabulary, but Australian um, um, ideas and and choreographic new choreography was always part of what the company uh, was about in, in its very first year. I mean, you know, they we staged Swan Lake as the first work, but then you know we had Rex Reed creating um, the Melbourne Cup. Um, you know, throughout the history of the company, there's always been a focus on you know not only just creating works, but also staging the best of 
what are the new works? What are the what are the choreographers that are making those um, big statements in the ballet world? And also, you know, who are the Australian choreographers that have that ability to do that? And you know, when you look at the um, you know, Graham Murphy joined the company in '68 and was creating works in 1970, um, which then, of course, went on to you know to the Sydney Dance and that whole thing. But he still kept coming back. Um, you know, there was a time when all of the directors of all of the sort of small to medium companies around Australia were former graduates of either out of the company or out of the ballet school. Cool. Yeah. So you know, the ballet company did have a big sort of input I mean you know and for some it was you know turning away from that because <laughs> that was the last thing they wanted to do you know but it was interesting that you know the that at that time that you know it was a nucleus for a lot of people to um, to find their you know their voice so I, I believe that you know ballet will always continue or should always continue to rev- revive itself and then when you know those new people do works it makes you think about the classics in a different way. So mm. it's like, okay, you know, what is it about that work that, say, you know... I mean, when Gideon did a piece for us, he interestingly did a piece looking back at Swan Lake and what was the relevance of Swan Lake, you know. And so there is this this whole dialogue, I think, that always goes on. And we have a motto in the company that's caring for tradition and daring to be different. And that's something that's... You know, really fueled our our company's trajectory. I think you know for the last thirty years. What is it that ballet and dance can say that other art forms can't, or other parts of society? Like, what is that space? Yeah, I think it's it reaches across cultural divides because of the fact there's no language. Um, and if you think back to you know the most um, emerging of cultures and you know even our own indigenous culture dance has always been an important way of telling stories and handing down before you know before there was language um because it's about i guess expressing your experience of the world um ballet of course is a very big you know it's like if you know it's yeah. It's it's like when you take something and you refine it and refine it and refine it and refine it and refine it until it doesn't resemble the original form. That's what ballet is. You know, it's yeah. so codified. It's so it's so you know um, refined. You know, as an art form. But I think over the last you know fifty years to sixty years of ballet's history it's actually done a bit of a turn. You know, we were sort of so segregated, but then with embracing a lot more sort of contemporary movement, contemporary ideas, um, it's actually, you know, doing a U-turn back to being um, much more a part of the everyday. Mm. And, you know, we, we constantly talk in, a, in in our company about where do we fit in as a European art form into, you know, a multicultural um, contemporary Australian society. And that's... That's an interesting conversation that we're constantly having with ourselves. And some of that is, you know, parts of what we do maybe don't, but then parts of what we do also do, you know, because, you know, we have now dancers from every sort of ethnic background in the company. We're not this big Celtic, you know, um, enclave of, you know, the sort of like the Hitler youth, you know, all blonde and blue-eyed and, you know, doing ballet. I mean, the company is diverse, and, and I think that, 
that in itself makes us different to yeah. you know what the company was say you know when it was formed because well, there's been huge conversations about that particularly in the US mm. oh, huge ones um, yeah and what what that space affords mm. what is a multicultural and diverse society and is that being represented on stages and in the audiences and yeah and I look I think it's really interesting because the the flip side of that is how come in Asia and you know um, all through sort of not so much the Middle East, but, you know, even into Africa, I mean, South Africa, they all have ballet companies. Why is this so? You know, um, what is it about ballet that actually um, can sort of cross cultural boundaries and um, and make, you know, people want to do it? And that's that always amazes me, you know. that I mean, there's certain pockets of, you know, um, which have very strong culture. I mean, you know, India, for instance, there's not really a big ballet culture in India um, because they have their own right, classical right. Indian yeah. dance, you know. And the same Which is equally as refined and absolutely <laughs> and unusual and, and you know and very sort of um, codified. Um, but you know that's the thing that always surprises me, you know, all the way through um, you know, China, Japan, Korea, um, all these, you know, very sort of and they've come to it fairly recently, but really taken it on. I mean, they've yeah. all got massive ballet companies and huge amounts of teaching and, and producing great young dancers. You think, how did that happen? Yeah. You know, there's something in it that obviously resonates. Yeah. Um, and I think it is, I think it is that non-verbal thing. You know, I think there is that, that ability that you can um, be doing something that's shared all around the world, but there's, you know, it's just, it's the language of the, you know, the, the technique. It's not having to know each other's, you know, mm. cultural background. Can I talk a bit about the Yes campaign and the yeah. whole marriage equity thing? Obviously, Wesley Enoch and yourself were quite outspoken mm. in talking about what it meant and, mm. you know, Wesley gave quite a rousing speech at the Dance Awards, mm. Australian Dance Awards, about what it means and yeah. how it's a challenging period of time. Mm. How did you come out of that? Um, look, I... I it was really weird because, you know, before it all became, you know, a, an issue, I mean, before the um, the vote or plebiscite or whatever we called it, um, I guess it was just one of those things you just thought, oh, well, that's just not going to happen. What a shame, you know. Um, and then when it became an issue, we were like, oh, well, this is actually really important. And I guess not even so much for us personally, but as a, you know, it's all about the equality of it. Mm. And, and, you know, a ballet company you're in a world that's very um, open to, you know, diversity and, and especially in gender and sexuality, it's, you know, it's it can be quite fluid. Um, so it just seemed sensible that we were actually, you know, on the front foot when it came to expressing our belief that this was just something that should happen. Um, and for Wesley and I personally, you know, it was just that sort of thing of like, well, you know, it doesn't really matter whether we get married or not, but wouldn't it be great to have that opportunity to do so, mm. you know, and um, and to just feel that we, you know, once again, it goes back to that, you know, childhood thing, you know, of not being the, the ones who are excluded or the, you know, the ones who are sort of weird and strange. And so, I mean, I couldn't have been more thrilled when it actually was so resoundingly positive in the, um, the results, you know. Yeah. It felt like, you know, it felt like a bit of, like, oh, my God, people have accepted us, you know. Um, and, you know, 
not that I take any credit for that, but I just think as a nation, we felt like we just grew up a bit, you know, mm. with that whole experience. As something you're saying reminded me of what Taylor Mac said. Mm. We want to get marriage so we can say, fuck you, marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like we want that option yeah. <laughs> to say that, no, and, we don't want that. Or we... Yeah, and it's sort of weird because in, in one way I sort of think, I mean, you know, we've talked about, you know, would we get married? And it's like, well, let's just wait till it all dies down a bit first. And, and then maybe we would or we wouldn't. But, you know, um, it is nice to have the option, mm. you know, because it was never, off, you know, it was never on in the offering. And, and strangely, I guess, you know, when more and more countries were, you know, um, voting, you know, for marriage equality, it sort of almost felt like, well, that's unfair. How come we don't have it? You know, yeah. it's like... I want that new shiny thing. <laughs> what about the space for dance to be, or dance or the arts? There was a lot of critique that I saw in some of the Australian Ballet Facebook mm. posts about marriage equity, or there's a beautiful one of all the point shoes lined up yeah, yeah. in the gay flag rainbow. And, you know, arts shouldn't be political. And Yeah, and no, there was a bit of that sort of back, back thing. But to me, it wasn't a political statement. It was actually a human statement. It was about, you know, it was about... We're not, you know, we don't want everyone to, you know, to get married to their, you know, same sex. You know, if if people aren't, you know, if you're rampantly heterosexual, then, you know, we don't want you to turn gay. We just want you to let us get married like you can. You know, it was it was more of a human rights issue than a political thing for me. I think. Yeah. What about the space of a company to take a stand? And Look, I think something? it was just, you know, we we have lived in that world for so long and look you know lots of our dancers are straight I mean you know it's not like they're all you know um, running around wanting to marry each other um, you know same-sex couples but it just sort of felt like a um, something that I think it wasn't about being an arts company it was actually just about being you know a, a person of the 21st century a, you know a company who believed in equal rights for everyone yeah I mean, I always find that critique that the arts shouldn't be political um, incredibly interesting because arts yeah. is political, well, life is political. I think our job is, you know, and it, you know, everyone says it, but our job is to hold up a mirror to society. And, you know, and for the ballet, sometimes that's to show the beauty and, and the, the great side of, of, you know, the human endeavour because a lot of what we do is about creating, you know, form that is appealing and aesthetically, you know, beautiful. I mean, you know, as Wesley likes to say, you know, ballet is a very blunt instrument to tell the story. You know, it's um, it's not the sort of thing that you, you know, you can be defiant with. And yet, you know, that you can still raise... I mean, you know, we were talking about, you know, with Spartacus at the moment, you know, we were sort of starting to work on it and, you know, all those themes about, you know, slavery and um, entrapment and, and, you know, once again, human rights. And, I mean, we were talking with... Um, Twiggy Forest and like you know there's still in Australia something like you know thousands of people who are enslaved and you think this is Australia in the 21st century how can this be mm. um, there's more slaves at this point of history than at any time I know and it's I just kind of it's crazy isn't it you just can't believe that and yet so you know I mean while we're going to be doing a piece that's set in you know Roman sort of um, period it's actually really valid um, today and you know we should all be fighting for freedom for these people. And, you know, so, you know, I think we can we can have political statements in the work we do. It's just veiled 
to being, you know, overtly... Um, it's not party political. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's quite interesting for me, I thought, the marriage equity stuff and the stance of the ballet company, because historically gay male involvement in dance has been downplayed or denied or covered up <laughs> or hidden. <laughs> totally, yeah. The, our, our, you know, our shameful, um, you know, closeted past. Yeah. <laughs> We're all straight. Mm. Oh, no, not really, but anyway. Yeah. yeah, it just felt like for me like an actual, a bit of a, yeah, to, to, to actually put the colours out there. Mm. Um, Looking, you know, and that was always the thing. I mean, you know, I think... As a ballet dancer, you do you you do want to be believed when you know you, when when you're dancing with Juliet. You want to, people to think that you're falling in love. And look, quite honestly, on stage, I think you do. You know, I mean, I've I've had such amazing love affairs with you know all the girls that I've danced with. You know, but it's not always necessarily led to you know the next step. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess. It's a bit like Hollywood in that way that, you know, Rock Hudson, you wanted to believe that he and Doris Day were going to go home and bonk all night. Um, but maybe just not with each other. <laughs> yeah. You know? And I think that's that's what, you know, the ballet world has sort of always tried to have this, you know, dreamlike quality. But once again, I think we're in an age where people can, can actually comp- compartmentalise that and actually go, well, you know... They look in love, and and that's enough. You yeah. know, we don't have to have the women's weekly story where you know you go home to you know wife and two point five children. It's often that critique too around young boys growing up in dance, where parents or teachers play up the association between dance and sport and mm-hmm. the athleticism of the practice. And, yeah, you know, they just as fit as a footballer, oh, or yeah. just and all that kind of stuff. And I, um, some young boys, it's like, well. No, I'm actually a dancer and I don't play football and I don't want to play football. Yeah. This is what I love. Why am I keep comparing myself to the I, other? I outlawed that when I became artistic director. I said, I have done too many of those stories. I never want to see that that story again. You know. I'm quite happy to um, you know, to have that idea of, you know, athleticism and because and, I think that's true. But, you know, and, you know, we have partnered at times. Like we did a performance out at the Pen- Penrith Panthers in New South Wales and we had the obligatory, you know, um, photo with the, you know, footballer lifting up the ballet dancer. But that's different <laughs> yeah. to actually standing there, you know, doing push-ups and who's going to last longer. I just won't, I just don't think it's... Someone explained that to me so beautifully once, and I just always think of this. It was actually someone who worked with us in our um, physical um, training stuff, and he was a former dancer. But he said, you know, it's a, it's a non-story because ballet dancers trained for an aesthetic and, um, and a quality of movement and, you know, a whole lot of things that, that the byproduct of is, you know, a really good amount of strength and um, mobility and, you know, coordination. Footballers train for strength and, um, you know, power and endurance and stuff. And the byproduct of that was a certain beautiful aesthetic, like, you know, when they go up to those, you know, marks or whatever. And so we're actually training for opposite outcomes. And there is a crossover between both where you see both those outcomes. But we're training for something completely different. So there's no comparison. Yeah. You mentioned before gender fluidity and dance is obviously ballet in particular is so codified in gender oh yeah totally and the love especially story classical and, ballet yeah, yeah yeah what you know now that trans identities are becoming more prominent mm. and 
there's obviously a lot of young trans dancers coming up. Mm. What space does the ballet hold for them? Hold for them, or like, yeah, going forward. Yeah, look, I think um, especially in the more contemporary works. I mean, and you know. I suppose when I talk contemporary, I'm not talking like really contemporary dance because it's contemporary ballet. Mm. But you know those more abstract works that are less defined in gender roles. I mean, even now, I mean, um, Tim Harbour's done a couple of pieces where you know girls partner boys as opposed to boys partnering girls, or you know, and the, you know, there's group dances where it's very gender neutral. It's not about you know boys and girls or mm. men and women. It's actually about dancers you know and I think that in that sort of world then it's very comfortable um look you know over many years there's always been um you know the entrevasty roles that you know um men playing women mainly but you know sometimes women playing men as well you know it's it's not a an unusual experience I mean sometimes for comic you know um relief but sometimes just for um you know tradition I mean, Carabos is often danced by a man, and that was just, you know, because the power, I guess, that the, you know, that that sort of and and that unusualness, you know, that sometimes those characters that are super, super you know, natural set can sometimes be played by the old, you know, in in a sort of a, a neutral gender role because it it is more weird, you know, mm. for makes everyone else look much more sort of, you know, um, beige. <laughs> so, um, but I think, you know, I think that whole idea of boy meets girl will always be a factor in those big classic works because that's just the way they're written. But, you know, having said that, there was a time when, you know, you couldn't put an Asian face into a European role or you couldn't put, you know, a black dancer into a you know a white european role but that's all changed now i mean you know mm. pretty much you know I, I don't notice you know dancers ethnicity anymore so maybe gender will become that sort of thing as well you know yeah. like in you know people doing shakespeare you know all all female shakespeare and um you know changing genders of those roles i mean who's to say that it has to be the way it is now mm. I'm looking forward now to 2018. Yeah. What are you looking forward to? Oh, well, um, you know, it's always a hard question as the director because, you know, it's like... Because you programmed it all. Yeah, exactly. It's like, who's your favourite child? Um, (laughs) But, uh, look, I I think Spartacus is going to be a big excitement for us because, you know, any time you do a big new full-length narrative ballet, that's a big um, excitement for the company. And, And also with, you know, Lucas... Jervis, who's the choreographer, um, it's his first big narrative ballet. I mean, he's done, you know, theatre shows and he's done one act, um, lots of one act, you know, ballets, both narrative and non-narrative. But I think for um, for us, this is going to be a big, big event for the year. And Alice Topp's new work, um, Aram, which is going to be part of the Verve program, um, this is her first really big main stage commission. So, um, so that's a really exciting point for her to to really branch out and show um, on on the broadest canvas, you know, what she's capable of. Um, I feel like the whole theme of the year is something that I'm really excited about because everything that we're doing, all the works that we're staging, actually are works that were created for us. So, I mean, you know, some of them are, are versions of, you know, traditional works like Giselle, for instance, um, 
but it was created, that production was created for us by Manny Gilgood and um, Cinderella by Alexei Redmansky for the company, Merry Widow, which was our very first full-length original ballet. Um, and and I guess, you know, the Murphy tribute is a, a great celebration of one of our, you know, alumni. Uh, as I said, you know, Graham joined the company in 68, even though he went on to have a multitude of careers and a multitude of companies and, mm. and, and genre, you know, from opera to music theatre to film to, you know, contemporary dance, classical ballet. He's done everything pretty much. Um, but we're really proud to have him as one of our sort of, you know, continuing creative um, collaborators. So so that's exciting. So, yeah, I mean, the whole year is is something that I'm really, really pleased with. And, um, and I think it's been a culmination of a number of um, factors, you know, to actually come bring that together. And, you know, we're re-energising our Body Talk program, which is our choreographic development program, which has sort of been a bit dormant for a couple of years just because we've had a couple of really busy years. Um, and I think that's that's really vital, you know, that, that constant um, hum of choreographic um, development, you know, doesn't always lead to, you know, places. But when you look at the choreographers who, you know, are emerging into the company now, you know, Lucas, Tim Harbour, um, Alice, Todd, uh, Richard House, I mean, they, they all went through that process of you know creating works in a small little way and, and you know building up building up building up so you know it's really important to have that choreographic um process reviving again mm. and you can then i guess try things out if it doesn't work it doesn't work yeah look and lots of people that do body talk you know have never created anything in their lives and they go like Oh, I'd really love to have a go at that. And then they try it and they go, oh, no, it's not for me. And then other people just get completely hooked and, you know, that becomes their, you know, their path. Okay. So, and, you know, it's, I know we're in the process of doing a strategic plan, which is one of my most favourite things to do. Not. Uh, well, no, it is. I mean, it's, it's actually <laughs> fascinating. But, um, you know, the, you, you start the process and you go, oh, my God, this is going to be, you know, a nightmare. And yet at the end of it, you actually uncover a whole lot of stuff that really is quite exciting and, you know, and stimulating. And one of those things is how can we have a more um, strategic process with body talk? So it doesn't just, you know, it's like you just churn through a whole lot of people doing stuff that never gets seen again. You know, how can we can build on um, our past experience where, you know, you start here and then you do a next piece and then you do a next piece and then eventually you do it this and then, you know, ultimately you are doing a big narrative, you know, full yeah. evening, highly resourced ballet, you know. You, you can't go from, you know, your first body talk piece to that. How do we get there? You know, how, yeah. do, we, how do we offer that opportunity and, you know, support... Um, choreographers through that journey. So, I mean, that's that's really something. Because those pathways in in all artistic disciplines are so important. Exactly. And, and look, I think, you know, it's hard for anyone who wants to create. I mean, I think I don't think it's a process that, you know, I, I think it's a burning desire. I think it's something that you have to do. And that's what I always felt like as a dancer. Like, you know, I felt like if I didn't do it, I would just explode. And um, And I think that's the sort of fever that you need to have to be a choreographer as well um but then you know i think there's a lot of you know you have to allow for a lot of failure before you know people can really find that um 
that ability. And, you know, for some people it's like, you know, it's like some dancers, you know, you're not going to always be as successful as, you know, you may want to be. Mm. Um, but you have to kiss all those frogs to, you know, to find the, the, the really, you know, the, the really innate talent. And, mm. and that's, that's an exciting process. You never know who's, who's, who's going to rise and who's going to develop. And, you know, and, and that's really exciting to see it when, when it happens. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. We could talk all day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you for listening to Delving Into Dance. You'll find a list of episode notes on the website delvingintodance.com. You'll also find an archive of great episodes from the likes of Meryl Tankard, Gideon Obazanik, and Raphael Bonacello. Delving Into Dance relies on contributions from you, the listeners. You can donate online on the website Delving Into Dance. Delving Into Dance also acknowledges the support of the Victorian government through Creative Victoria. You can find Delving Into Dance on iTunes, on Twitter, and find us on Facebook. If you've enjoyed these episodes, please share them with friends. Word of mouth is our powerful, powerful friend. Until next time, take care.